Hello, welcome to the Market Weekly podcast. I'm Daniel Morris, Chief Market Strategist. This week, I'm joined by Olivier Laplaini, who's the head of quantitative fixed income on our portfolio management team, and Charles Christet, Senior Quantitative Investment Specialist. And today, we're going to discuss corporate bond factor investing. And I think, or at least for me, uh, when I think about factor investing, I think first and foremost of equity factor investing. I think we're all reasonably familiar with that at this point. The factors that matter when you when you look at equities, the growth factor, value factor, momentum, size, quality, and, and so forth. Whereas corporate bond factor investing, I suspect, is, is unfamiliar to a lot of people. So hence, that's why we're here talking about it today. And I think it's also appropriate in that we're in a quite different environment, or we've seen a big change in the environment over the last couple of weeks. We're now in a rising rate environment, it seems. We have rising inflation expectations. So certainly a lot more challenging uh, to get returns, positive returns in fixed income than it was when rates were falling. And consequently, if you have any means to try to improve your returns within a fixed income portfolio, something like corporate bond factor investing probably would be quite welcome. So we definitely want to talk about that. Uh, the other thing I'm going to want to ask uh, Charles and Olivier about uh, is kind of the quantitative aspect to factor investing, because at the same time, uh, I think we've seen when you have very volatile markets, when you have a big change uh, in the momentum of markets, uh, at times quantitative strategies can break down. So I'm curious about how uh, you've seen the performance and how your portfolios have held up in these uh, more challenging times. So that's what we want to talk about. So Olivia, I'm going to turn to to you first. Uh, kind of pretty pretty basic question, if you will. Uh, how does factor investing work when it comes to corporate bonds? Like I said, it's not like equities. This is new to people. Uh, tell me a bit about it. Yes. Uh, hello, Daniel. Um, indeed, factor investing has been around for more than a decade now in the equity space, but its development to other asset classes has been more recent. But um, we have witnessed a significant increase in demand over the past year for factor-based strategies in, um, in corporate bonds. And I would say the first big difference between traditional strategies and multi-factor strategies is uh, what you are targeting. Traditional approaches to bond investing often focuses on uh, timing the market, um, meaning actively managing the global duration or the credit risk or the currency exposure of the, the portfolio. Whereas factor investing is purely bond picking. Securities are selected uh, based on some particular criteria or attributes that we call factors that have been shown to explain the relative returns of securities, meaning uh, factor investing will not tell you the market will go up or down. It will tell you this security based on these criteria or factors will outperform similar securities. It means that factor-based strategies are designed to generate performance without taking any active view on the direction of interest rates or corporate bond markets, which could be quite um, an asset in the um, in today's markets, which are quite uh, volatile. Yeah, well, exactly. I would think if you're in an environment where rates rates are rising or, or falling, if you have something that, in theory at least, is supposed to to function independently of that, 
that would be quite advantageous. Have you, has your experience been over, you know, I guess this year in 2021, that the portfolios have behaved in that way, that they've not been sensitive to the direction of rates, but you've been able to, to pick the right bonds as it were? Yes. Uh, when I say not sensitive to rates, it's compared to their benchmark. Of course. Uh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and um, let's separate 2020 and 2021 because these were very different uh, periods. Uh, in 2020, this uh, approach of not taking uh, directional views uh, did help a lot uh, during the crisis. The, the drawdown incurred by the portfolio was less uh, than the benchmark thanks to this um, robust uh, portfolio construction and the selection of good quality bonds. Uh, since the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, when rates are uh, rising quite, quite quickly, um, we, are, we, we are not affected by the rising rates, only by, by spreads. Uh, performance attributions show that the interest rate effect is very close to, to zero. Yeah, well, I think uh, that, that would be comforting if you're a fixed income investor. So let's talk a little bit more about the factors that you look at. I mean, be, of course, equity investors are different from fixed income investors. They have different objectives. Uh, I would think that would then have a big impact on the factors that you then use if you're looking at corporate bonds as, as opposed to equity. So tell me a bit more about the factors that you look at and, and why you use those factors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, broadly speaking, when you look at the names given to, to the factors, these are broadly similar to, to equities. You have value, momentum, um, low risk, and, uh, and quality. But when you look more closely to the actual data or criteria used, there are significant differences between uh, corporate bonds and equities. Um, first, um, what matters to an equity investor is not always what matters the most to a bond investor. The interest of uh, equity holders and, uh, and bond holders can be different. For instance, in the case of a leverage buyout uh, of a company, the equity of the company may go up following the announcement, while its bonds uh, will go down in price because of the increased debt load uh, of the buyout. So the factors um, are not the same. Also, uh, there is a significant difference in the return structure of these securities um, because bonds have limited upside potential. If you buy a good quality bond, you will earn its yield in the end, no more, no less. And so your upside is capped and you are less rewarded for selecting winners uh, in the bond space. And so uh, one often said that the focus for bond investors and bond strategies is on avoiding losers um, meaning companies that may default or be downgraded to, to high yield. And uh, this shows in the factors that we, that we use. Um, so to take an example of a, of a factor that is clearly different between equities and bond, uh, let's take a typical value factor in the equity world, the price to book ratio, which aims to identify undervalued stocks by comparing the stock price to the book value of the company. And if you were an equity fund manager, you would buy funds, uh, stocks with a low price to book uh, ratio and hope to benefit from the rebound uh, in the stocks. In the corporate bond world, um, this factor does not work at all because of the asymmetrical nature of bond returns. Uh, and in fact, our research has shown that the factor should be used the other way around, 
meaning that you should avoid companies that appear to be uh, good values. Why? Because of so-called value traps, which are undervalued companies that will not uh, recover and eventually go bankrupt. Okay, I think that, that gives us a good a good view. If you'll let me, I'm going to turn to, to Charles now. Um, of course, we talked a little bit, or a little bit, a lot, about some of the financial metrics that, that uh, Olivier has to look at when he, he's uh, looking at his model and the securities that go into the portfolio. Uh, do you think about non-financial uh, criteria when you're constructing the portfolio? Hi, Daniel. Uh, yes, uh, we do uh, look at the sustainability criteria uh, when we build the portfolio. And um, what's uh, particular to our approach is that we do not just rely on exclusions to implement uh, uh, sustainability, but we also uh, incorporate ESG scores into the bond selection itself, meaning that sustainability scores are fed into our portfolio construction tool in order to build a portfolio that significantly improves the ESG score compared to the benchmark. And similarly, we also input carbon data in order to reduce the carbon footprint by 50% so that we do have a measurable impact on ESG and carbon aspects. So, I mean, is it safe to say when you're looking at ESG criteria because you, you want to, that's a good thing. You want to have a, a portfolio that ranks better on ESG criteria, but does that often not also improve the risk profile of the portfolio? Meaning that companies that score poorly on those measures turn out to be companies that anyway you might want to avoid. This is our core belief that the companies that have poor ESG ratings bear a higher risk, both in terms of reputation and also in terms of financial performance over the long term. Yeah, well, that's, that's very good to know. Uh, okay, so now hopefully our, our listeners are thinking, well, this, this is great. I need to, to add uh, uh, factor corporate bonds into my portfolio. Next question probably is going to be, well, exactly how much? How does this work? How do I think about incorporating uh, an allocation to factor investing within a corporate bond portfolio? So what, what should people think about? And yes, and that's a, a question that we get from investors. Is it a, an alternative or a complement to traditional strategies and a uh, to answer this, uh, we, we looked at, uh, at several things. The first one being the, the risk-return positioning of these strategies. Uh, multi-factor strategies, as, as we said already, they, they tend to have the same uh, overall risk profile as the benchmark. They do not take any directional risk and focus purely on security selection. And this is not uh, always the case from traditional portfolio managers, and which is why when you observe the long-term risk profile of uh, the strategies, they tend to be quite uh, different. Uh, and it's also why these strategies uh, tend also to be more resilient in periods of a, of a higher volatility. So this uh, in itself suggests that multi-factor investments um, should rather be used as part of the core exposure, the core allocation to the asset class, not that much as uh, the tactical strategy. That's for the, the first part. And then to, to look at the, how much it complements traditional investments, you, you need to look at the correlations in the excess returns that you get from multi-factor strategies compared to traditional strategies. This gives you an illustration of the diversification you get when you add multi-factor investments to your portfolio. And we did a study recently looking at those correlations over a 16-year period from 2004 to 2020. And the results showed that there was no strong structural correlation between the excess returns generated by our multi-factor portfolio and those generating from traditional managers. That means that um, multi-factor can indeed be a good complement to traditional strategies 
as it will help diversify the excess returns and making our portfolio more robust and uh, having a higher return to risk profile over the long term. Yeah, well, I, I would think that's kind of the, the holy grail when it comes to to constructing these portfolios that you're able to find uh, other sources of return, if you will, that, as you say, aren't correlated with what you're going to get from traditional corporate bond portfolios. Well, I think that's all the time we're going to have for today. If I can recap a bit some of the things we discussed Conceptually, factor investing for corporate bonds is is similar to equity factor investing, but of course quite uh, significant differences at the same time, uh, given the different objectives between equity and fixed income investors, and consequently you have different factors. The ultimate goal, of course, is still the same, that you want to have higher risk-adjusted returns. Uh, I think it's important that people realize that in this style, you're not taking a view on the direction of rates or spreads. You're really uh, trying to essentially pick uh, better securities in the construction of the portfolio, and that's where your return comes from. Uh, We've seen over the last year and a half that they've proven to be resilient uh, in volatile markets, and I think we all anticipate continued volatility, so that's good to know. Uh, And then finally, uh, the team incorporates ESG criteria into the security selection process, which is good in and of itself in terms of having a higher ESG score, but also helps them uh, in building more robust portfolios. And then when they look at what this might mean for an investor looking to incorporate uh, corporate factor uh, investing into their portfolio, uh, they recommend seeing it as a core allocation with anywhere from 30 to 50 percent of the portfolio. Well, I think that's all the time we do have for today. I want to thank Olivier and Charles for joining me today. Uh, if you do have any questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact. Uh, also, please join us next week when I'll be speaking with Thibault Clayson to discuss net zero technologies, a really, really exciting space. Until then, we hope you stay safe and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BMP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.